Hey, before I get started, uh, first, happy Thanksgiving to everyone here this morning. Um, got a couple things that we've put out in the lobby area. So one is this Advent season invite card. So this is your opportunity to take a couple of these and give them to your neighbors and friends. Or if you go out to lunch today, maybe leave it for the wait staff. We're waiting on you along with a very generous tip. Don't forget that. Um, this is the opportunity to do that. And then also we've got these booklets called Rhythm for Advent, these little devotional booklets we've had. There's five devotions in here, one for every Sunday during Advent, but also one for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Uh, so since all the kids are in here, I'm going to lay out a challenge. Uh, so the kids listen to this. Uh, make sure your mom and dad, or your mom or your dad, if you're a single parent, uh, before you open presents, all right, before you open presents, say, hey, let's do the fifth devotional in this Advent book, all right? So kind of a family tradition to keep our focus on Jesus, the greatest gift, the ultimate gift. Let's, before we open gifts, go through the fifth devotional in this book. All right, kids, can we do that? Yes, thank you for that yes over here. Kids over here, can we do that? All right, right on. So before you open any gifts, the fifth devotional in this book. So this is really designed to really help you as a family, as friends, even as community groups, to keep your focus on Jesus during this Advent season. Well, last Sunday, uh, I was actually officiating a wedding, and that's why I was not here. Uh, two members of Vice City Fellowship got married, and I had the grace privilege of officiating their wedding. And uh, for them, their wedding was on 11-21-21. And um, it would be nice if everything that we're waiting on God for had a date, like a time and a date, right? 11, 21 weeks, they can count down the days and even the hours until they, they can count down the weeks. They can count down the days and even the hours until they were gonna have this beautiful wedding ceremony. They could count down those days. Wouldn't it be awesome if everything that we were waiting on God in life, healing, a new job, maybe a family member come to Christ or whatever it is, that God would give us a specific date and time so we can just begin counting down the weeks and the months and the days to that point in time. Wouldn't it be awesome to have that? But here's the thing. We are gonna be perpetually be waiting. And the reason why is found in Luke chapter one on this first Sunday Advent. So turn me to Luke chapter one. And the message is called, the wait is over, kinda. Because we will always be waiting. Luke chapter one, Luke chapter one. On this first Sunday in Advent, we're going to read about the birth announcement of John the Baptist. And you're going to see some parallels in Luke chapter 1 and even in 2, but especially in Luke 1, between um, Zechariah, between Mary, and between Simeon. They're going to get an announcement of a promise. The promise is fulfilled, and they lead to a song of praise. So it's a person, a promise, and then praise that goes on. And today we're going to look at Zechariah the father of John the Baptist. In verse five, Luke 1, 5, Luke is also the author of Acts, which we've been going through. We'll take a pause for the next four weeks. Uh, it's a historical account of the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. Verse five says this, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. So the reason why he mentions this is to let you know that what he's about to talk about is not a myth or some kind of story, but this is an actual historical event. You can look at the priest named Zechariah, and that means the Lord, this account. There was a priest named Zechariah, and that means the Lord remembers, of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
that are both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So here's the story about a couple, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth uh, is from the line of Aaron, so most likely her dad was a priest, her grandfather was a priest, her descendants were all priests, and so they're from a very priestly lineage. And so here's Zechariah, priest. There are 24 divisions. He's of one of the divisions. There's an estimated 20,000 priests in uh, Israel at this time, and he's one of 20,000 priests. And notice in verse six, they were both righteous in the sight of God. This term in the sight of God or in the sight of the Lord is repeated 35 times in Luke and Acts. It's used nowhere else except once, I think, in John chapter 20. And it's a consistent theme of Luke. And the reason why I believe is this, is that when it comes to living your Christian life, living your walk with the Lord, you can live it before people or you can walk it before the Lord. And what he's emphasizing here is you can fool people. Like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, religious leaders, they were fooling the people because they were righteous in the sight of the people. But here, these folks were righteous in the sight of the Lord. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly, not sinlessly. It's not, never mentioned that. Blamelessly, they quickly repented and confessed their sins and all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So here's the thing. If you are righteous in the sight of the Lord, you're walking with the Lord, God sees it. You confess your sins quickly. You would expect that your life would be going very well, that you would receive the full blessings of the Lord. But here's what the contrast is in verse seven. And yet, some translations say, but they had no child because Elizabeth was infertile and they're both advanced in years. So in those days, if you were infertile, if you were not able to have children, People would look down on you because of the fact they thought maybe you've done something to offend God. Maybe you've done something where God is displeased with you and he has shut your womb. And so can you imagine the life and the contrast of a person who is walking blamelessly, walking righteous in the sight of God, who's, quote, doing everything right, and yet they cannot have children. And perhaps people around them are now beginning to mock them and scorn them because they're probably wondering, maybe you've done something hidden and in secret that has now offended God. And because of that, God has closed your womb. So here's point number one. How long have you been waiting? They were both advanced in years. And they've been waiting, and it will see later that they've been praying as well. How long have you been waiting? In this text, I'm sure Zechariah and Elizabeth have been waiting for years, decades even, praying that God would bless them with a child, because again, they would say, Lord, if, if this were all about checking the boxes, we're checking all the right boxes, we're walking with you, we're blameless, we're keeping your commandments, and when we don't keep your commandments, we confess them, and we've been praying, we've been doing all these things right, and yet we are without a child. So they've been waiting, just like the Israelites have been waiting, the end of Malachi chapter four, uh, verses five and six. Between that and what is written here is over 400 years of silence. They've been waiting for revelation from God. It's been over 500 years since an angel has visited them. And if you go back all the way to Genesis chapter three, verse 15, it's been over 2,000 years that they've been waiting for this Messiah. So this is a period of waiting. They're in spiritual darkness. They have not heard from the Lord. They have not received revelation. And specifically with Zechariah and Elizabeth, they've been praying and waiting for a child. We don't know how advanced they are in years, but perhaps for decades, they've been praying and waiting. So my first question is, how long have you been waiting? 
Is there something that you or someone that you've been praying for, something to happen that you've been praying and waiting on God for? How long you've been waiting? For the Israelites, they've been waiting for over 400 years for revelation from God. They've been waiting for over 2,000 years for the Messiah. They've been waiting and waiting, and here Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting as well. But notice what happens in verse 8. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service for God in the appointed order of his division, again, there's 24 divisions, according to the custom of the priest's priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple Lord and burn incense. So out of 24 divisions, out of 20,000 priests in a lottery system, his name is chosen and those priests would serve uh, twice uh, during the year, a week, two weeks during the year, separate times, a week at each time. And so it was like the highest honor for a priest to be able to serve in the temple. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside of the hour of the incense offering. Uh, we don't know if this is a morning offering around nine or the afternoon evening offering around three, but they've been praying. And now uh, Zechariah enters in the temple. Now an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. So what he's doing as a priest, as the people are praying on the outside, he's about to offer incense on the golden altar of incense and the incense, the smoke rising to heaven represents the prayers of the people. So again, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for this priest. Verse 11, now an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. Now already most priests are going to be afraid and fearful of entering into the temple because they're right in front of the Holy of Holies. And so they would often go in with bells because they would be afraid that they would die in the presence of the holiness of God and they'd have to be drug out by a rope. And so already he's probably on edge. So imagine you're there offering the incense on the golden altar of incense and a glorious angel appears before you. And here's the common response. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice over his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. So, this is what happens. An angel appears, and we know that it's Gabriel. Gabriel appears to Zechariah and says, your prayers have been answered. We don't know the exact specific prayer he was been praying. Maybe he's been praying for the Messiah to come. Maybe he's been praying for a son. We don't know specifically, but I think in the context it says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son in verse 13. So I'm guessing that he was praying about having a child. And this child, John the Baptist, will be great in the sight of the Lord. There's that phrase again, in the sight of the Lord. He may not be great in the sight of people, but he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor. Is that because he's a Nazarite? Probably not. Most likely he's going to be set apart to ascetic lifestyle. And he'll be filled, with his Holy, be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. So he's been set apart even before birth for God's use. What will we do? Verse 16, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. That word will turn is a sign of conversion. He's going to convert many back to the Lord. Verse 17, and it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts and fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people ready, uh, prepared for the Lord. Quoting Malachi 4, and 5 and 4, 5, and 6. He says, this is the one who will be this forerunner before the Messiah. So you will have a son. You've been praying. You're going to have a son. You'll have a child. He'll be a forerunner to the Messiah. But look what he says in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, 
How will I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in her years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. And the good news, I believe, is verse 17 about the forerunner of his son and Jesus Messiah. So here's point number two is trust God because the wait is about to be over. Gabriel's announcing to Zechariah, trust God because you've been praying for a son and now the wait is about to be over. Trust God, the wait is about to be over. But notice where his response in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this from an old man and my wife is advanced in years? So even though Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for a child, and perhaps for those of you who've been battling infertility or perhaps had miscarriages, you can understand their prayer. They've been praying and praying and praying and maybe checking off the years as they go by. And finally, God answers their prayer and says, you will have a child. And Zechariah logically says, wait a minute, you don't know how old I am and you don't know how old my wife is. Like, this is really like not possible. Reminds me of Acts chapter 12, uh, which was covered last week. I mentioned this in men's prayer. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison. And what do the early Christians do? They're in a prayer meeting praying for his release. And what happens? Miraculously, Peter is released from prison. He goes to the house where they're having this prayer meeting, knocks on the door. The servant girl, Rhoda, says, who is it? And Peter says, it's Peter. And she goes back and says, hey, guess who's at the door? And they're like, who? Peter. And they're like, that can't be because he's in prison. And they're like, well, haven't we been praying that he'd be released from prison? And a couple weeks ago in men's prayer, this is what we prayed. I said, what is it that you can pray for, that you need to pray for, that God is saying, pray for this, that only God could do it? What is the prayer that you pray that says, you know what, it would be like really a miracle if this were to happen. That's what's going on here. They've been praying and praying for a child, and then God says, I answer your prayer. You're going to have a child, and they're in disbelief. So what is the prayer that you are praying that would have you in disbelief if God were to answer that prayer? And in that men's prayer ministry, we had all these people laying forth prayer requests of these things saying this would be a miracle. This happened to be amazing, and I would probably not believe it if it happened. So again, he says here, point number two, trust God because the wait is about to be over. What is that thing? What is that person? Who's that person that you've been praying for that if God answered that prayer, you would be in disbelief? But notice what happens in verse 20. And behold, you'll be silent, unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled at their proper time. So there's a consequence to unbelief, to not trusting You'll be silent and unable to speak. This is what Gabriel says. Verse 21. And meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he repeatedly made signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his priestly service were concluded, he went back home. Here's point number three. Uh, there are consequences to not trusting. So again, they've been praying, God, give us a son. Bless us with a child. Bless us with a child. And he says, hey, you're going to have a child. They're in disbelief. He's in disbelief. And because of his lack of trust, here's the consequence. He's going to be unable to speak. And in uh, verse 62 of Luke chapter 1, it indicates that he's not even able to hear. He's both deaf and mute because they have to use sign language to talk to him. So there's a consequence to his disbelief. 
his unbelief. He remains speechless. Because normally in verse 22, as soon as a priest would offer the incense offering, he would come back out as the people were praying. He would proclaim number six, 24 through 26 over them. That song that's become very popular nowadays, the blessing, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. He would pronounce that blessing on the people after he came out of the temple on the people and yet he's unable to because he can't speak. And so the people are aware that he's seen something that has shaken his world. But notice this. Um, Hebrews 3.19 Hebrews 3.19 I forgot to mention this thing uh, look, look at this in verse 15 for he'll be great he'll be great underline that word great uh, Matthew 11.11 Matthew 11.11 Jesus said this he says among everyone born on earth there's nobody greater than John the Baptist among those born of women there'll be nobody greater than John the Baptist but then he says, but even the least in the kingdom will be greater than him. And the reason why he's great is because he pointed people to Jesus Christ. He pointed people to Jesus Christ. And friends, we have that opportunity as well during this Advent season. Again, that's why these Advent cards to invite your friends and neighbors to be a part of our Advent services to point people to Jesus. Um, verse 24. Verse 24. Now, after these days... His wife Elizabeth became pregnant. She kept herself in seclusion for five months. The question is, why did she keep herself in seclusion for five months? There's no commandment in the Old Testament saying if you become pregnant, you're supposed to stay secluded for five months. Why did she stay secluded for five months? My only speculation, my only guess is this. Perhaps in the past, she got pregnant only to have a miscarriage and only to have the embarrassment of, again, losing another child or maybe the shame from the society around her. So she said, this time, even though we've got this promise from God, I'm going to make sure that we're going to have this baby. I don't know for sure, but she kept herself in seclusion. Verse 25, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among the people. So what she says is, I'm thankful the Lord has allowed this and that my wait is over. Point number four is this, the wait is over, but the wait is also just beginning. Why? Because again, he says here, verse 17, it is he who goes a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. This son that you're gonna have, John the Baptist, is simply the forerunner. You're gonna be waiting for someone even greater. The wait is over. The wait is also beginning. So just like the message title, the wait is over, kind of. Zechariah and Elizabeth, your wait is over. But who you're really waiting for, not this child, though he be used by God, though he be set apart by God, is really the Messiah to come. That's who you're waiting for. So here's a big idea for Tay. We are still waiting. We're still waiting. In our day today, we are still waiting today. We're still waiting. Even on Christmas morning when the gifts are opened up, even after a very festive meal on Christmas and friends and family come into town and the waiting seems to be over, we will always be waiting. Um... It was kind of a bittersweet Thanksgiving for me. I don't know if anyone had this 
all my nephews and nieces now are like grown. And I still remember when they're like little kids, like little toddlers and infants, five years old. And now like one of my nephews is like 6'3", 290 pounds. He plays uh, right tackle for his high school football team. His voice has changed. And so like it's this deep husky voice now. And here's the thing uh, about life. I don't know if you remember this, but when we're in elementary school, we can't wait to get to high school. We can't wait to get to high school. I skipped junior high because no one waits to get to junior high. Junior high is awkward for everybody. <laughs> but we can't wait to get to high school. And then once we're in high school, as we get to maybe sophomore year, junior, we can't wait to get to college. Maybe we watched the football games yesterday and said, man, I can't wait to get to AM. I can't wait to get to Michigan. I can't wait to get to college. But then you find what my daughters are wrestling with right now. They're both in school and grad school, and now they can't wait to graduate, to be out in the work world, to be, have a career, to have a job, to work in teams, to work at ExxonMobil, to work at this company, to work. But then I talk to people who've been at the job now for 15, 20, 30 years, and you know what they can't wait for? Retirement. And so like, I look at my little nephews and nieces who are all grown now. And I can remember those times when they couldn't wait to be in high school, couldn't wait to be in college. Now for many of them, they can't wait to be graduating and working. But here's what I've never heard from anyone before. Man, I can't wait till I die. But you all, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the reason why we are perpetually waiting is because our great longing, the deposit in our hearts is, you know what, not to get to high school, not to get to college, not to get to the dream job or the career, not even to get to ret retirement. Our longing and our desire, even though we experience the presence of God when we worship together, we experience the presence of God when we're with him, is to be with him. That's what we're waiting for. And that's why this first advent of Jesus coming we're also waiting for his second coming as well because then the one that we've been waiting, who we've been waiting for will be ultimately fulfilled. So again, like I mentioned to you all, I hope you can empathize with Zechariah and Elizabeth that you've been waiting for something. You've been praying for something. That's great. Keep praying. Keep waiting. Keep trusting God. And if God says, here's the answer, answer with faith and belief. Say, you know, I trust you. Even though it's mind-blowing, it's hard to believe, I trust you. But even when that wait is over, the wait is over, kinda. Because the one we're waiting for still has yet to come. Let's pray together. Um, God, as we are waiting on Christmas morning uh, with the gifts to be open, and perhaps we're like uh, waiting for the Amazon delivery driver, and the wait is over when the gifts come, but God, we know the wait is not truly over until Christmas morning. So God, there are people in this room brothers and sisters in Christ, and perhaps those who've yet to put their faith in Christ who are waiting today, waiting for that new job, waiting for that loved one to arrive at the airport, waiting for Christmas morning to open gifts, waiting to see the reaction of their kids as they open that gift and that present, waiting for that delicious Christmas meal, perhaps waiting for the new year, ready to put 2021 behind them waiting for graduation, waiting for retirement. God, we know ultimately we are waiting on Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes says that you've deposited, etern deposited eternity in our hearts, that the things of this world that we wait on cannot satisfy like only Jesus can.
So God, we we walk uh, in the spirit of Elijah, like John the Baptist, to be people who point people to Jesus, the one that we're looking for, the one that we're waiting for. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.